Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. I'm Annie Dickerson. And I'm Julie Lamb. Together, we're the founders of Good Egg Investments and creators of the Real Estate Accelerator. We help real estate investors and syndicators build their brands, find the right investors for their deals, and scale their businesses so they can do more and bigger deals. We believe that everyone has the power to make an impact through raising capital and helping people achieve financial freedom through real estate. We invite you to join the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Facebook group so we can amplify our impact together. We know you're going to love this episode. And hey, be sure to stick around to the end of the show because we're going to reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing real estate podcasts on the planet. Ready? Let's go. Welcome back, friends, to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Annie Dickerson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce you to Mark Willis. Mark, how are you today? So great. Doing well, Annie. How are you? I love that. So great. That's fantastic. Well, I know we're going to have such a great time on this episode. You have such a great story. So start by telling us a little bit about how you got into real estate in the first place. Well, it, it was sort of a um, necessity out of interest uh, in taking care of the biggest problem in my financial life, which was uh, my great uncle Sam. Uh, and I think the the reality is when you make a good income, uh, you have a big fat tax target on your back and uh, oh, yeah. like it or not, uh, <laughs> real estate is an incredible way to maneuver and manage uh, a, an incredibly complex tax code. And uh you know, partner with the government on what they're wanting anyway, which is housing. Uh, and they'll give you a little bonus for it called a tax re reduction or elimination in some cases. So that's my, my short story. Uh, I'm a certified financial planner. So I am not a real estate investor professionally. I work as a certified financial planner and I work with clients one-on-one -on -one all over the country over Zoom uh, or over the phone. And my goal and job as a CFP is to think comprehensively about their overall financial tax strategy, uh, investment strategy, retirement strategy, income distribution. I mean, the, all that sounds so wonkish, but really you start thinking about it. Money is really nothing more than an extension of your yourself. It, and some people even have called it life energy. I don't know if I'd go quite there, but it's pretty close. I mean, you think about you trade time for money, you trade your life for this thing called the dollar, right? Uh, so when I meet with folks, I have the privilege and honor of learning a bit about what they truly desire. Uh, and, you know, many, in many cases, real estate helps get them to that overall objective, something that many CFPs, I don't believe, either know about or are willing to share with their clients. Yeah, you know, I've heard it said that money is really the, the full expression of your desires, of your soul, really. And, you know, so I love hearing you talk about that and how you support different people along their journey. And how did you, were you always interested in financial planning or how did you get into that? No, no. I mean, my first, you, you'd probably have an <laughs> awesome story here too. You were five years yeah. old and no. <laughs> were like, I want to help people with money. <laughs> That's right. Not exactly. Hardly did I even know a thing about money. I wasn't certainly taught much uh, in the way of hedge funds and uh, dynastic trusts when I was five years old. My experience with money was a paper bag. That was my perfect financial instrument, actually, 
uh, I'd been able to accumulate a little money from, you know, mowing the grass and collecting lemonade stands, all that sort of thing. 50 bucks maybe was in that paper bag. My, the accumulation of my life's savings at that point. And as a five-year-old, my, my mom's wanting to teach me about um, fi finance and money and whatever. And so she takes me with that paper bag in hand to the local bank. And I walk into the bank and the job was, the goal was, the reason for going to the bank was to open up a checking account. And from my five-year-old perspective, my job was to hand this stranger, okay, a stranger in a suit, all of the money I'd ever made in my entire life and just give it away. Now, I've got a five-year-old daughter now, and she'll never let go of the little coins yeah. and dollars. She <laughs> no. Uh -uh. <laughs> and much less to a total stranger, hardly to her own parents. Uh, so, you know, little did I know how accurate my skepticism was of banks. You know, you think about if you put a $50 bill in a bank account, it doesn't stay there. It's getting loaned out to the guy behind you in line, right? Or the gal behind you mm -hmm. in line. So yeah. the bank is making an incredible margin, in some cases, infinite return, uh, if they have fractional reserve banking, which most use that. Uh, and and us, us mere mortals have to deal with 0% returns on our savings and 10 to 20 to whatever percent interest on our credit cards. Now that's that's how I kind of learned about banking was I give all my money to the stranger and hope and pray. And then fast forward to 401ks, and I'm doing the same thing, giving all my money to a stranger and hoping and praying, right? And now the, the added problem of tax deferral, you know, you think about what is, what is the magic of the 401k? It's supposed to defer our tax problem. Now, Annie, I don't know about you, but to a T, 100% of the people I talk with when I sit down over the phone. We usually have a pretty in-depth discussion about what they truly want about money. Like I mentioned, we also talk about their beliefs about the future of money and the future of taxes and so forth, inflation, everything. And I'll ask them, I'll just say, Hey, I don't, I don't really need to know who you voted for. I don't care about, you know, your politics. Tell me just bottom line, do you believe taxes will be lower or higher in the future? And everybody says, <laughs> Mark, they're going up, they're going way up. Uh, and then I ask them, well, okay, um, where do you put most of your savings in investing? And they say, well, my, I max out my 401k or I, I put a lot of money into my 401k, which is tax deferred. And I think to, I, I, I've started asking this question. Tell me what you think, Annie. Uh, I say to them, imagine you were an alien and you just landed on planet earth. You knew nothing about us. The first thing you learned about the human species was that we all believed taxes were going to go up. And the very second thing you learned about the human species, what we were all putting trillions of dollars into tax deferred, meaning postponed tax plans like 401ks, would that make any sense to you? And they'll kind of chuckle <laughs> and say, well, of course not. So anyway, that's been my, my own experience with money has been just stumbling into it because I don't know about you, Annie, but I wasn't given the manual on how to handle money. Uh, I've had to think it through, ask these questions. What is, it the, what is it that money does when it's in this bucket versus that bucket? Real estate is one bucket, 401ks are another bucket, hedge funds, annuities, savings accounts, you know, they all make your money do different things. And I guess what I would like to say to your audience is just take 10 minutes, if, if nothing else, if not a whole afternoon, and just try to write down as many things as you want your money to do for you. Like what characteristics would be important to you? I'd love to know the function of my money more so than the label. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather to have the, the specific goals or outcomes defined than to be, you know, talking about my latest, you know, cryptocurrency or, or Roth IRA at the, at the, at the barbecue, 
right? So it's about the function of your money. What char characteristics you want it to have? What do you believe about, you know, markets, taxes, inflation, and then back into specific labels. Um, that's kind of the discussion and the aim that we go through with folks. And, and it's, it brings up great discussions. To be honest, it's the best conversations. Uh, I feel money could be, if done properly, could be the most valuable um, bridge to the important conversations, the most important conversations of one's life. I love that. Giving everything a label. So making sure that every dollar has a job mm -hmm. is working yeah. for you. Yeah. And now I'm going to go out on a limb here, Mark, and it sounds like you're not the typical financial planner. The way that you talk about money, I mean, it's almost as if that skepticism that you had when you took your money to the bank for the first time, you've had a healthy amount of that skepticism throughout your life and throughout your career. And it's almost pushed you to think outside the box and wonder what else is out there? Is this really the way that things are? Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah, I, I feel like I, I really um, default into that alternative strategy, you know, kind of the contrarian, um, but I needed to learn the box before I could really feel comfortable living outside of it. Sure, anyone can think outside the box, but if you're going to live outside the box, you really need to know the box first. And so I did go through the certified financial planner designation. It took me a good three plus years. Um, and I learned everything front to back, side to side in the financial universe. I looked at 400 plus financial products and vehicles. And you know, to my surprise, uh, there were very few that met all of my requirements for my own money, like my own personal wish list of what I wanted my money doing for me um, was very long. I, I was kind of maybe, maybe too long. I don't know. I'll, I'll just tell you a few of my things and, and my list and my wish list. You tell me if there's anything you'd add. I wanted <laughs> right. a competitive rate of return. You know, I wanted it to beat inflation. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to have access to the money for any reason. Like I wanted to be able to send my daughter to college or Disney world or invest in real estate or cryptocurrency or, you know, build an addition onto my house. I wanted that money to do all of those things. And most of the time you put your money somewhere and Someone's going to slap your hand if you do the wrong thing with your own money. Now that to me doesn't yeah. sound like it's my cash if someone else has right. control of it, right? So I wanted it to be tax-free when I accessed the money. Um, I was going to be in real estate. So I wanted to be able to be protected from creditors or predators if someone tried to sue me, you know, slipping on the banana peel on the, on the sidewalk outside my multifamily. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so these are the yeah. things that I was thinking about, um, protected uh, against, um, you know, market loss. I wanted there to be some sort of predictable guarantees in the in the strategy I'd put together. That, that was sort of my list. Um, Annie, would, what about you? If I mean, if you could wave a magic wand, what sort of things would you want your mind to do for you? My gosh, I love all those things. That's exactly what, I mean, I've never actually said, I think that's such a great exercise to sit down and think, well, ideally, what would you want for your money? Uh, I think most people just default to whatever is available out there. And out of the, you know, hundreds of products, they pick something that's, you know, the lesser of the evils, but they never go seeking for that perfect vehicle. And so tell us, so you have this wish list, you were trying to look outside the box. How did you come across real estate? I feel like a lot of financial planners and advisors sort of get to that point where they're like, oh, real estate is outside of my purview. That's risky. Or, you know, how did you come to experiment with real estate? I mean, just look at history. Uh, there's something called the Lindy effect where the longer something's been in existence, the more likely it is to survive. 
kind of the opposite of us humans, you know, uh, but you know, you, you look at real estate, it's been around longer than the 401k by a long shot. So I have a theory. Here's my opinion. I believe that real estate investing will outlast the 401k. Not a, not a bold opinion, yep. I bet, but uh, you know, I bet it's going to outlast. I mean, it's as old as the pyramids, so it's likely going to outlast uh, most other financial strategies. Now, strangely enough, I knew real estate wasn't enough because I knew um, that it was not liquid. You know, I had to beg a bank to get money out of the house mm -hmm. or the property. Uh, it did have some incredible tax advantages, but it can also go up and down. There were no guarantees with, right. with real estate. Um, so I knew I needed something to pair it with, kind of like wine and cheese. I, I wanted something that would work really well with real estate. And of all things, funny enough, I found a strange kind of alternate version of whole life insurance fit the bill for me to fit just lock and key with my real estate goals. Uh, so I'll, I'll explain really quickly before your audience totally yeah. unsubscribes. Right, right. right. Uh, <laughs> um, so this is not the kind that grandpa and grandma used to have. Um, whole life insurance, the bank on yourself designed whole life insurance that I stumbled across. And I, I, I refer to that because bank on yourself is a specific form of whole life insurance. It does a couple of things really well, and it fits really well with real estate. One, you pack money of any amount into this policy through premiums and that money goes in and then it's in there and it's never taxed again. If we design it correctly, it's never taxed again. So you even have access to this money with no taxes due if we designed it correctly. So literally you could put a couple hundred bucks a month in or a couple million a year. We have clients doing both of those things going into these policies. So it's sort of like a Roth IRA, but without all the red tape of a Roth IRA. Okay, and you have access to this money. You're not having to wait till you're 60 something years old. Next, it grows on a guaranteed basis every single year, regardless of market conditions, regardless of real estate. So I have access to this predictably growing bucket of cash. Do you think that makes me uh, more attractive to banks and borrowing money when I need to borrow cash? Of course it does. You know, that's an asset on the balance sheet for me. Um, third, it is life insurance. So I'll leave my family more than I've ever saved for them. So that's pretty cool. And then finally, you can use it like a bank. So that's why they refer to this as bank on yourself. You can borrow against the cash value of this particular kind of life insurance. It's not just death insurance, right? It's living benefits too. You've got cash value and that cash value, Annie, can be borrowed against for anything, Disney World or the next multifamily or the next syndication. So when I go into my syndications that I invest in, what do I do? I borrow against my life insurance and invest heavily into various investments like syndication deals. How cool is that? Why is that any better than just paying cash? Well, when I pay cash for a syndication, all I get is the incredible returns that, that you and Julie and, and uh, all the in, other syndicators and other people who might be able to do syndication deals for me are able to get for me, right? So 10%, 20%, whatever I can get in that syndication, which is awesome, but that's all I have. And there's nothing guaranteed or liquid about that while I'm in the deal. If I use my policy rather than just paying with savings account cash or other brokerage accounts or whatever, if I use my policy, I'm simply borrowing against my cash value and the policy itself. And this is huge. This, this broke my mind when I learned this. I use it like collateral. It is collateral for my policy loan. So it's a non-recourse loan where I'm able to borrow against the policy, let's say it's hundred grand in my policy and I borrow out 75,000 to give to you guys. My policy is still earning interest and growing on all $100,000 
as if I had never touched the money. And I'm invested with you guys or, or any syndication deal I find at the same time. It's as if my money's doing two things at once. So for me, that changed my entire outlook on my financial life, how I buy my cars, how I invest in real estate, um, how I send my daughter to college or anywhere else, you know, any business that we need to start, whatever. I mean, why pay cash when you can let your money do two things at once? So that was sort of the wake up call of my adult financial life, you might say. Yeah, I, I remember when I first discovered and it's something that I do and Julie does as well with um, whole life policies combined with investing in real estate. It just gives that investment just a little bit more jet fuel like you're talking about to amplify the great returns that you're already getting. Yep. And your money grows for you in two places, not just one. Um, so I love that. I love that you shared that because every time I try to share about whole life, my it's like I go around in circles and I can't seem to explain it right. I use it. I love it. But for some reason, I can't explain it right. Uh, but so thank you for explaining that. And so you have, do you have one policy? Do you have multiple policies? And how are you using it? So you're using um, your policies to invest in real estate. Is that right? That's right. It's really the cornerstone of my family's entire financial portfolio. It doesn't mean that's all we do, though. You know, the, the more we have, and we've got over a dozen policies between me, my wife, my daughter, other family members, business partners, now, some people are saying, what, what in the world? Why is a certified financial planner owning 12 you know, overly funded <laughs> life insurance policies? And I just have to reiterate that it's not, where they, it's not where the money stops. It doesn't stop at the whole life train station. It keeps going. So I now, once I put it into the policy, I'm now using that policy for all the other important things in my life. I kind of view it sort of like my garage. Sorry to mix metaphors here with trains and cars, but imagine your garage and you've got these cars in your garage. Your cars don't just live in the garage. It's supposed to be taken out to go on a business trip or to go on a personal vacation or whatever you need to do. But the money always comes back to my policy, just like the cars always come back to my garage. It's the home of my kind of family wealth, you might say. And I didn't mention this earlier, but life insurance is protected against, in most states, check your state law, but it's protected against lawsuits, creditors, bankruptcies, et cetera. Just had a call with a guy this morning. Uh, he had gone through a major medical deal. I won't go into the details, but he lost his quarter million dollar 401k, all of his life savings, his pension, all to cover the massive tax bill and uh, medical bills that he experienced during a major health emergency he had 10 years ago. Now he's in his mid fifties and he doesn't know what he's going to do. Well, we can't go back and change the clock, but we're going to pack money into something that banks and courts can't take away from you um, for the future. If that should ever happen, you know, God forbid to him ever again. So for real estate investors, for, for those who are actively engaged in syndication deals, it's not a matter of uh, if it's a matter of when. So you're, you're going to be unfortunately served some un unhappy papers from somebody. So you just want to be packing some money, putting some chips into that uh, machine over there. So you don't have all of your chips waiting for somebody to come and, and sue you, unfortunately, hate to say it, yeah. but that's part of the reality. And if we're going to be in the real estate space. Yeah. And it's so smart, I think, to 
bring back some of that control under your own umbrella. I mean, it's almost like going back to um, young you going to the bank. It's like that same thing, right? Rather than yeah. give your money to somebody else, take back some of that control for yourself. And I, I think that's a big part of why many of our listeners have gotten into real estate syndication um, and doing their own deals is because, right. you know, when you invest with someone else, it's great. It's hands off but you don't have that same level of control. So when you're able to do a syndication on your own, you get to call the shots for better or worse. Sometimes it's a lot of stress, but uh, for better or worse, you get some of that control. And so it sounds like, so it's fairly straightforward to use a whole life policy that's designed correctly to your point. Not all whole life policies are for work well with this strategy, but you got to get it designed in the proper way. Uh, You contribute to that plan and um, then you can use it in conjunction with real estate investing. And now I'm thinking for the syndicators, this might also be a great strategy for them as well, because, you know, when you're syndicating, you get a deal under contract, sometimes it's 10, 20, $50 million deal, and you have to put in a certain amount of capital. Mm-hmm. And you don't want, you know, 500000 a million dollars of liquid capital sitting in a bank account waiting to put as a down payment into one of these deals um, as the earnest money, right? Even the earnest money you can take out as a loan from one of these policies. And so as it's working for you in the deal as earnest money, it can also be working in your whole life policy. That's so true. I couldn't have said it better myself, Fanny. You know, I was just on a call earlier today. I've had two calls and both are relevant to our conversation today, it sounds like. Uh, I mentioned the gentleman with the unfortunate medical experience, but another phone call I had earlier today was with a longtime client. I've been working with him for almost 10 years. I've known him even longer. He uh, runs a syndication doing uh, mobile home park investing, and he's about to receive a, a payout from one of his funds uh, for about $575,000. Now, where do you think he could park that money? Where could it go? It could go into a savings account. Well, that's not FDIC insured at that level. Plus you're only earning zero point nothing, maybe 1%. And then you get taxed on that, right? So that's not a great spot to leave cash for too long, especially since it's exposed to creditors and, and again, lawsuits. You could put it into, well, you can't really put it into anything else, right? A Roth IRA is, you can't do that really. A 401k, you can't do that. He's able, he has room in all of his policies. He's borrowed pretty significantly from several policies. He's got room to squeeze in tons of extra premium. And so he's able to park significant cash. All 500 grand, 575 is going to go into several policies. He's opening another one on one of his family members as a result of not having more room. He's like, God's making a rain, Mark. I need more buckets. I need to (laughs) grab some more buckets. So it just does become sort of a, a, a good addiction, you might say. Uh, to start flooding and pouring different windfalls that you might receive as a syndicator into these various opportunities, these various policies. And when you realize that it's not locking the money up, you can pretty quickly within 30 days of starting a policy, turn right around and borrow it out. And you bring up a great point about earnest money, Annie. I don't know if you've, you may or may not have um, a desire to share, but but have you used your policies at all for either personal or or for business reasons by chance? Yeah. Oh yeah. We borrow against them for, you know, to invest for that earnest money, all sorts of different things. How cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's truly, um, someone once told me, I don't know uh, where I heard this, I guess creativity is just forgetting your sources, but, um, (laughs) 
<laughs> but they said, uh, Mark, you can't control as much as you think you can. And that's a good reminder, especially if you're a parent, you figure that out pretty quick. You can't control as much as you think you can, but you can influence more than you think you can. So, you know, I couldn't control everything about that little paper bag in my, in my little hot little hands as a five-year-old. I mean, it could have been taken, stolen, burned, whatever, yeah. but I could influence a bit more in today's world. We, we have a lot that we cannot control. And that's for sure. We've learned that over the last two years. But if you can influence a little bit, if you can get your airplane moving with a tailwind behind you, rather than always pushing against the headwinds, you're going to see yourself have just incredible distance that you take over your financial life and, and see your goals accomplished. Oh, I love that. Love that so much. Well, Mark, I know we've just skimmed the surface uh, with all that you offer and um, even about whole life. We've only um, talked about the tip of the iceberg with all that's possible there. So I know that our listeners are going to want to follow up with you, especially since it's hard to find um, somebody who knows this space combined with real estate and really understands how it all comes together. So if you could share with our listeners where they can follow up with you and learn more about all that you're doing. Well, you said earlier, I was not your typical financial planner. That's true. They call me not your average financial planner. Uh, the, the show, our podcast is called not your average financial podcast. So if you liked anything here, we can, we get into the pros and the cons. I believe in transparency. So there's nothing, you know, there's nothing that is not without consideration. So do your own due diligence, like you said, Annie. And uh, so check out our show. If you'd like to learn more, it's not your average financial podcast. You can go to that, not your average financial podcast.com. And at the top of the page, you're going to see a big button that says request a meeting, request a meeting. It's 15 minutes. We can chat, maybe answer some additional questions, see if this strategy or any of our other strategies would be a good fit in your journey. Fantastic. Well, for all of our listeners, we'll have those links for you in the show notes. Mark, thank you so much for being here with us and diving into all this with us today. It's clear you're a wealth of knowledge, no pun intended. Um, but I love your the wish list um, that you put out, the tips you had about giving labels to your money, how to use whole life um, in conjunction with your real estate investing, and so much more. So for all of our listeners, be sure to follow up with Mark to learn more. And thank you so much for listening. And for all of our listeners, we'll see you on the next episode of the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. If you are a real estate investor or syndicator who would like to be on this podcast, please visit syndicationspotlight.com and please also join the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Facebook group so we can connect with you and learn more about you. And if you got something out of this episode, we'd love it if you could subscribe to this show and give us a rating and review. We promise to read your feedback and take action to continue to make this show even better and more valuable for the real estate syndication community. My name is Annie Dickerson. And I'm Julie Lamb. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight community. 